Okay, time for the main message this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 11, and we'll read from verses 5 to 13 this morning as we continue our series on the parables of Jesus. So Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. Okay, Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is on his journey, is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread, of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he, will he for a fish give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now there's a teaching on the persistence that's required when we pray, um, and it's an important one. Um, persistence is a uh, is something that's even taught in the world that as an important uh, strength that you need to have, especially for younger people uh, who may be too tempted during the course of their life to give up on certain things. Persistence is important in many areas of life, uh, and many fruits would never have been realised unless time and persistence were demonstrated over many years. There are many examples of persistence in the world which serve to demonstrate its value. People like Thomas Edison and his persistence in developing the electric or incandescent light bulb is a good example of this. Edison is said to have made uh, and failed at around a thousand light bulbs before finding one that actually worked. Dyson one of the world's most popular brands of vacuum cleaner today, and I'm sure many of you actually have at home, um, is around today because the, uh, and named after the owner and inventor of that particular machine, but it wouldn't have been around today if he wasn't persistent. According to an interview that, uh, he could, that was conducted with him in 2007, Dyson asserted the importance of failure in one's life. His response was, or what he actually said was, I made 5,127 prototypes, which means models or tries of my vacuum cleaner before I got it right. There were 5,126 failures. One of the greatest and most enduring examples of persistence in the natural world is Abraham Lincoln a man almost universally seen in the US as one of, if not the greatest president um, that they've ever had. Lincoln was born into poverty. 
Um, and he faced a number of defeats throughout his life and very difficult circumstances. He twice failed in business. He suffered nervous. He suffered a nervous breakdown, which incapacitated him for at least six months. But it was in the realm of politics that we see his persistence actually shine through. Over the course of almost 30 years, he consistently ran for and lost elections, starting from state politics, to being an elector, to the US Congress, to the US Senate, to eventually President of the United States, eight times. He ran for something and lost throughout all of those years, but he kept on persisting. But the guidance that we are given in scripture to persist in things such as prayer actually are really an indication of something deeper, something more substantial than just trying to get something or trying to achieve something, something that keeps a person going, even in the face of doubt and discouragement. And that one thing is belief. You see, what persistence shows about a person is what they actually believe. You see, Edison would not have reached his 999th light bulb without one thing keeping him going. And that was the belief that he would find the one that would work. Dyson would not have persisted through five more than 5,000 failures if he did not believe that he was onto an idea that would be able to be made. Lincoln would not have persisted in failures over 30 years and defeats over 30 years unless he truly believed in the work that he was supposed to be doing for the American people or believe that that was what he was called to. Now, these are natural examples. And yet for these few successes, what we don't often hear are the countless others who tried and tried and ultimately failed because their belief wasn't something that wasn't right or that wasn't true. And I offer these feeble examples, worldly examples, only because they show one simple thing, that if the belief of people in the world can cause them to persist in order to achieve success, then what are the children of God who persist in seeking his face and kingdom? Will there be success for them? Well, yeah, success for the children of God looks something a little bit different to success of people in the world. The success for the children of God is an eternal success. And it's a success that doesn't just last for the lifetime of a product that, that's sold in the marketplace, but a success that lasts and endures forever. There will be success. And not just on an earthly scale, but on an eternal scale. But your persistence, and please um, think about this. Your persistence or lack of persistence reveals one thing about you during this life as a Christian, what you really believe. In this passage that we've read today, one of the disciples had just asked Jesus to teach them how to pray and how to pray specifically as John the Baptist had taught his disciples to pray. Evidently, the disciples of Jesus had heard John's disciples praying 
and wanted to be able to pray just like them. So Jesus answers their request and teaches them how to pray using a model that's often called the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. That prayer seeks to glorify God and his kingdom. Ask him for our daily needs, for forgiveness and guidance. Having done that, he now provides them with this parable of a needy man and a friend. So it comes straight after when he taught them how to pray the Our Father. And the reason he's done that is because now he's teaching them, okay, now that I've taught you what to pray, this is the attitude you are to come to God with. So in verse 5 he says, of Luke 11, and he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, that's three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. There's some of the important things to consider as we look at this particular parable. Uh, that Jesus puts you in the place of the person who is in need. In other words, he's comparing you to the one who's going to God in prayer, the one who is in need. In this particular case, you're the one who is in need and you have a friend who has arrived Another friend who's actually arrived at your home after a long journey. Maybe he's arrived late at night and you, don't have, you haven't got any food to give him. Okay, you keep in mind um, uh, life in those days was very, very different. And sometimes um, a journey took days. And so it's not just a matter of someone who's arrived at your place, you know, at eight o'clock at night after a half an hour drive in the car. So you've had this good friend of yours arrived. You haven't got anything that you can actually give him. He's probably famished. So you turn to another friend who lives near you. You know the type of friend, the one that's dependable, the one with a family to look who look he's got to look after. That's always there, ready to help you when you need him. And so you decide where am I going to go now to get food for this friend? And so you decide. At midnight, midnight's not out of the question, to go knocking on this friend's door and even disturb him while he's sleeping in his bed with his family. Actually, who all slept in the bed together. Um, they used to sleep like this in olden days when they didn't have three bedroom homes. Now, the friend who is in bed, all nice and warm, whisper shouts to you and says, Go away. I can't help you. He doesn't want to wake up his kids, you understand. Everyone's asleep. Go home. But because he's a real friend, it's churned up within him that he that you need him or that he that, that he needs you. So even though it's a pain to have to get up out of that bed in the middle of the night, in the dark, and go looking for bread for you, he's going to do it anyway. Because... His friend is more important than the inconvenience. So the lesson here is that when we come to God in prayer, we should 
have a greater trust in his love and friendship toward us than a friend sleeping with his family in the middle of the night. If a friend was willing to give you what you need simply because he is a friend, what will God be willing to give you, the one who doesn't sleep, the one who can't be bothered, the one who isn't uh, put out because there is no limit to his power, because he simply is God. It's because of God's gracious and loving character that we can confidently come to him for all of our needs. doesn't matter what time of the day, at midnight, you can go knocking on God's door. God's love for us goes well beyond the best friend we could ever have in the world. And if the best friend that we have in the world would look after us when he's when it's difficult for him, what about God who never finds a difficulty? There is no greater evidence of God's love toward us and for those who have put their trust in him than the love that he showed us through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And amazingly, this one, this only begotten son, chose to call us his friend. So if you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15, verse 12, and we'll read to verse 15, Jesus says this, this is my commandment. And he's speaking this to his disciples. This is my commandment. So he's speaking this to you if you're a believer. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known, made known unto you. Jesus is the one who showed us the greatest love we could ever imagine. The true friend who laid down his life, who sacrificed himself fully for us. It wasn't just getting up out of bed at midnight. He's the friend whose love is the standard, and he says, for our love towards each other. See, he says, love each other the way I've loved you. The one who has shared all things with us, all the, the truth that was given to him by the Father, because that's what friends do. When asked what motivated him to continue to persist in order to become successful, Abraham Lincoln once shared this. He said, I'm a success today because I had a friend who believed in me and I didn't have the heart to let him down. Isn't that a lovely thought? Wouldn't that be a lovely consideration for ourselves? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing for us to say that I'm a success today because I had a friend who believed in me and I didn't have the heart to let him down. You have a friend. You have a friend who gave his life for you, who now believes in you. Do you have the heart to let him down?
If our motivation to persist in our walk is that we don't have the heart to let this friend down, then let that be your motivation to persist. And not just in prayer, but in every area of your life. He laid down his life for us. He gave everything he had for us. If there's any friend that you have in this world, it's him. Don't let him down. It's because of God's wonderful character that Jesus encourages us to come to God and promises us that when we do come to God, that we will receive. Look at, go back to Luke chapter 11 with me and look at verse 9 and 10. There's a promise inherent here. Inherent in here. And he says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And that man who needed three loaves, asked his friend while he slept with his family. He saw his friend in the middle of the night at his home. He knocked on his door, wanting his attention. And Jesus promises those who trust in God's love will receive. Will receive. And they will find. And that door that they knock on will be opened to every need that they have. And they will find the friend on the other side of that door, willing to give. The question I have for you is, for what are you asking? Where are you seeking? And on which door are you knocking? That's the important question for us. The world knocks on all the wrong doors. They seek the wrong thing. They ask for the wrong thing. But the children of God should be different. There's one door. They should be seeking God's things. They should be asking according to his will. You know, some people have taken these promises, you know, seek and you will find, knock and it shall be opened unto you, ask and you will receive. They've taken these promises and turned them into formulas that turn God into some sort of a celestial bending machine for children. You know the ones, those ones that, in, that you find in, uh, in supermarkets or shopping malls. They cost you a dollar coin and they're filled with all colourful things that attract children's attention. No, this is not a formula just to get and receive whatever comes to your mind or things that you think you may need or things that you might like. This is not a name it and claim it foundational passage at all. And I'll tell you why. I wonder how the parable would have ended or what impact it would have had if the man who had knocked on his friend's home at midnight went and asked and said, can I borrow, uh, can I have a loan of your Xbox? Because I've got a few friends over and we're getting a bit bored at my place. Obviously, they didn't have any Xboxes in those days, but I just wanted to make the example. Would his friend have gotten up? No. The man who came to his friend's home had a legitimate need. 
not a whimsical wish. And many people actually struggle to separate those two things these days. But I trust it's not true for you who are watching or listening to this sermon. There is a need. And you'll notice that the man and this, the, this, this parable finishes with that he got up to give him everything that he had need of. Not things that he'd just like. The other thing that's not addressed in this parable, but that's assumed in this parable, is immature children asking for things that are not the best for them. It supposes that the requests made by those asking are actual needs, which are beneficial and needful, not things that are foolish, because even a best friend will not give you something that's detrimental to you. So let's go back to the primary teaching of this, of this thing. It's because of God's loving character compared to our own. Because look at what he says in verse 11. It says, If the son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will you give him a stone? Obviously not. Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Obviously, no loving father would give their children a snake when he asks for a fish to eat. Or if she'll ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Obviously not. These are rhetorical questions. And Jesus knows that in people's hearts and minds, they will answer that way. And this is the cruncher in verse 13. If ye then, being evil, not holy and perfect like God. If you if you are evil and you know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask of him? Now, look at that. The gift that's being asked for here is not some physical thing. It's the Holy Spirit. It's something spiritual. It's something that's good for you. In fact, the most important thing that you can ever possess, the Holy Spirit residing within you. Notice once again the examples of things being asked for. Bread, fish, egg, the requests are needs. Obvious needs. You might say, well, what are obvious needs? Well, you know, from a physical point of view, it's obviously food, clothing, shelter, work to be able to provide for your family, maybe healing if you're, if you're sick. But really, the emphasis here is on spiritual needs, the Holy Spirit. And that includes and starts with being born again, being spiritually born. That's the most important thing every person needs in this world. It's the thing that should take place first. And then you need the knowledge of the truth and continuing with the knowledge of the truth to build up a foundation for your life. The wisdom to know how to use that truth. You obviously need God, God's love and guidance and his grace to continue growing in the knowledge of him. We need the, the Holy Spirit to continue working in our lives to direct us and guide us. 
the grace to overcome the challenges we face and so on. So the Lord promises to give us all that we ask because we have need of them. And that's why he puts the Holy Spirit in that place. But how would this parable work if a child came and asked for a block of chocolate at dinner time? Or a new game, or the latest designer runners? Well, it wouldn't have the same result, would it? No, even people who are naturally evil know how to give good gifts to their children. So if the children come asking for a gun to play with, they may decide not to give it to them. And God is the best parent. The lesson is that when, when a child comes to God asking for something, whether right or wrong, good or bad, God will always give us something good. You know what? A child may come to their parents and say, can I have a chocolate bar for dinner? And the parent might say, no, I'll give you some food. I'll give you some steak and veggies. The child may receive an egg when he, when he or she is asked for something else. The beauty we have in this is that God, who loves us better and knows us better than our own parents and knows better what we need, will always give us the good thing. But it's important for us as we grow to be wise enough to ask for the good thing, to ask for the thing that's right, rather than being distracted by the shiny or sweet things. Why? Because the act of coming to the Lord and asking for those things which are according to his will means we're growing. It means we're maturing. We're becoming more like Jesus. We're not staying little children. And that's good. It means that our relationship with him is strengthening. The more I come to God asking according to his will and not just my childish will, then it means that my relationship with him is growing. It's strengthening. I'm understanding him more, which is what we're trying to do as believers. So Jesus taught us the first thing that we should be praying for Things that should occupy our minds are not just physical things. Look at what he starts off with the Our Father. He says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't start off by saying, Oh, can you please give me a loaf of bread first? No. The bread doesn't come first. None of the earthly things come first. Why? Because as a perfect heavenly father, he already knows we have need of those things. So when we seek his will, when we seek to glorify him and follow after the, the kingdom of God, then you know what ends up happening? He ends up giving us those other things anyway. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 for a moment. Because this is the problem the Gentiles have. Because I have no spiritual um, perspective, they concern themselves fully and only, really, with physical things. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus tells us, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. 
For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So notice verse 32 stresses, For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. To imagine that God doesn't know the needs of his own children is saying that he is a negligent parent. And God is definitely not a negligent parent. And this is the same message as the man seeking bread from his friend at midnight. His friend gave him what he needed because he loved him. But God knows exactly what we need even before we go knocking on the door. While the unbelieving world are consumed with physical needs, I need this or I need that or I need a new car, I need a new home, I need this. And they're filled with concerns and fears and wants. The children of God, Jesus says, should first be focused on God and seeking his kingdom in our lives, in seeking the spread of the gospel, in seeking the maturing of the children of God, in seeking the proclamation of the truth, in seeking the glory of God. And let me ask you this morning, does this reflect your own prayer life? Do we pray with God's glory and kingdom as the centerpiece of our prayer to him each time we come to him? Or are our prayers really a laundry list of things that we need. Please provide this, 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 and this. If that's the extent of your prayer life, then you may have the cart before the horse. Because the Bible tells us, and Jesus clearly teaches, not to put the physical needs, including sicknesses and those types of things, before spiritual things. It's the spiritual things that must come first. And the other things will actually be added to you. Prayer itself done right, with the focus on God and trusting in his great love, brings many blessings apart from the answers to those prayers themselves. Let me explain. When you pray to God in the right way, according to his will, it draws you closer to God. So persistent prayer, and this is why you should continue to pray and be persistent in prayer, it draws you closer to God. It allows you and me to unload our burdens and needs on him. It strengthens our faith in him when we see that good thing that comes from him in answer to our prayers and shows us how wise and loving he is towards us. In other words, our faith is strengthened when we see and interact with him and we get the results of those prayers, even if we have not prayed perfectly aligned, because his answer will show us where that alignment should take place. So persistent prayer draws us closer to God. Persistent prayer also reveals our true desires and things that are really important to us. As I mentioned earlier, the thing that you go asking for, like those inventors 
okay, who persisted and persisted and persisted and kept on trialing and failing and trialing and failing until they got it, that told you where their heart really was. What was important to them? Now, question is, as a child of God, what's important to you? Where you keep trying and trying and trying and trying and where you spend your time tells you more than anyone else what's the most important thing to you. The thing that consumes your thinking, your passion, your desire, the thing you spend your time with the most in prayer and also physically is a thing that's the most important to you or the things that are the most important to you. One of the things that persistent prayer reveals about us is what's important to us. If we say something is important to us from a Christian point of view, but never ask God about it or ask very rarely about it, can we really say it's important to us? Well, not really. Because the fervency and the frequency with which we pray reveals how important it is to us. Would you have the courage to go to your friend's home at midnight to ask for bread if it wasn't important to you? No, you wouldn't be going to your to knock, knock on your friend's door in the middle of the night to disturb him or her if it wasn't important. So the, 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 the lesson here is, for what do you go knocking on God's door? That's the thing that's important to you. If I never come to God's door knocking for something, it's obviously not very important to me. Or I lack the faith that God will actually answer it, which is something else that we need to address. Persistent faith, or persistent prayer, sorry, is most rewarding when God finally answers it. Now, if I pray one time and God answers that prayer, if I say, God, can you find me a park here? And God gives you a car park. Okay, God's given you a car park. But what about that item that you pray for each and every day? Maybe the salvation for of a loved one who after years of pleading with God to reach their heart, they finally come to Jesus and realize his saving grace and experience his saving grace. Isn't that something that will change you as well? Persistent prayer is the most rewarding when the Lord finally answers it. Have you ever worked on a project for a really long period of time? Something that's meant a great deal to you. And after long effort, you finally see the results of your efforts. Rewarding, isn't it? Well, a similar thing is true when you pray for something that's important to you for a long time. Something that God answers in a beautiful way that reveals how much he loves you and maybe the other person as well. Those prayers and those answers to those prayers are the ones that tend to stick within us, are the ones that change us the most. 
and the ones that we tend to share with others to encourage them. Have you noticed that? When you prayed for something for a long time, God finally answers it. When someone else is going through that similar type of desire and need, and maybe they're, they're hitting a point of desperation, and you say, you know what, I prayed for this long, and God answered that prayer, so persist. They're the ones that we tend to share with other people because they're the ones that mean the most to us because they meant the most to us, which is why we persisted in the first place. If we never persist in anything, if we don't persist in praying for something, then which, what thing is really important to us? But when you receive that thing which is important to you, it's a thing that causes you to glorify God the most. The other thing that persistent prayer does, it reveals the patience that God has toward us. You know, when we pray for something important for a long time, we learn patience and endurance. And as 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us, charity is long-suffering. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Through patience in prayer, we exercise real love and learn to appreciate the love and the patience that God then has toward us when we see our own inadequacies and own failings. And we become more patient towards others. There are plenty of other benefits to praying and coming to God in a persistent way, trusting in his awesome character. He is a perfect father. And those lessons are learnt in our lives through exercising faith and experiencing God's work in our lives. Now Luke records another parable, which is similar to this, these first ones, and reinforces the importance of persistence in prayer and why we should persist when it comes to knocking on God's door and seeking his attention. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. This is the parable of the persistent widow. Luke 18, 1 says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, for this purpose, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, which means don't give up, saying, There was in a city a judge who feared not God, neither regarded man. This wasn't a nice guy. Didn't care about people. And didn't care about God. Verse 3. And there was a city, a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. He just wanted to get her out of the way. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them, avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? That's another rhetorical question. And the answer to that is probably a no. The message here is a woman who is 
all alone, who has an adversary against her who's causing her problems, who's probably done her great harm, and she is vulnerable and weak. She's looking for justice from a judge who's wicked. And she receives the justice that she has asked for simply because the judge said, all right, I just want to get you out of the way. Now, if the message here is that if an evil judge will give you something simply because you're a nuisance to him, what about the children who come to God and ask for things such as justice? Who may think justice is a long time coming? Well, the answer is God's love for you, God's attention is never lost on everything that happens. There is nothing that is outside of God's attention. So what we can do is trust him that he will bring justice in the end. You know, you look at this thing and, and sometimes this actually thing's a little bit alien to us. You know, you look at, if you read the book of Revelation and you see um, the saints who have been killed under the altar in heaven asking for God's judgment who have had their heads lopped off during the tribulation period, asking for God's justice. You know, I can't really relate to that, to be honest with you. Most of us living in this country have not experienced a type of persecution and evil that other people have experienced overseas. So maybe this isn't, doesn't mean as much to me as someone who's maybe lost their entire family to people who are evil and maybe persecuted them because they were simply believers. But nevertheless, the message is still the same. You can trust God to love you and answer your prayers because even the ones who are evil do the same. So we must maintain our faith and persistence in prayer. If you have something that's important in your life, bring it to God. And keep bringing it to him. God isn't hard of hearing. But if it's important to you, show him how important it is to you. And show yourself how important it is to you. He wants to see that commitment, that faithfulness, and that trust in him. If you persist through faith, God, at the right time, will give you the exact right answer that you need. And not only will your, your prayer be answered, your faith will be strengthened, he will be glorified, and the best eternal outcome will be achieved. God promises that we will always receive the things that we need. Be persistent. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. James 1, 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. 
when it comes to God's things, he will give you, he will give them to you. He has a, a great desire to give them to you. But as with anything, you know, the, even people who want to drive a car need to first learn how to drive the car on the road to use it properly. You know, you may ask your father if you're a, a young man or a, a, a young lady um, who are living in their, in their parents' home, you'd love a car before you turned 18 or when you turn 18. And your parent might buy you a car. That would be a huge blessing. But will they let you drive the car on the road after giving you that gift without first learning how to drive it or having your license and practicing with you? No, a wise parent will spend the time with you. They might pay for lessons for you. They will make sure that you're all ready to receive this car. And that's the same way with God. Oftentimes, the answer that he wants to give us before he gives it to us, he will prepare us in order to receive it so that we're able to use it properly. So persist. Something's important to you. Be persistent. Believing always that God is able to give you everything that you need. So when Christ says to ask, to seek and to knock, we should do so firstly with God's kingdom and his righteousness in place. If we focus on earthly things only, we put the cart before the horse. And it's a bit hard to go forward with a cart and horse with the cart in the front. But if we seek God's kingdom first in our lives, purity, faithfulness, service, love, the gospel, prayer, righteousness, his kingdom. If we seek his things for his glory, then all these other things will seem to come naturally to us. And we will find ourselves praying for those sorts of things, even food and clothes and houses and everything else, less and less as time goes on. This pattern, praying for his things first, putting him first, brings peace to a person. Which brings me back to the beginning. The greatest prayer, the greatest and first thing you should seek is found. And the first door you need to knock on is this. And Jesus answers which door you should be knocking on first and foremost. When he tells us in John 10, 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter him, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. He is the first door. He is the door. He is the one, if you want to find pasture and fulfillment in your life, if you want the gift of the Holy Spirit, then that's the door you need to be knocking on. Because once you knock on his door and he opens that door unto you, that friend 
will give you everything you need. You will find pasture, you will go in and out, you will have freedom as you've never had before, and you will have life in him. Persist in prayer. Learn to trust him. Jesus is the first one that you should seek for, knock for, ask for. If you have Jesus, you have it all. God bless you. I hope this message has been an encouragement to you. If you are a believer, then trust Jesus and come to your heavenly father in his name, asking all things according to his will. If you're willing to ask anything in Jesus' name, what you're saying is, I believe that Jesus wants this for me. If you don't know Jesus today, start knocking, seeking and asking for him. He will reveal himself to you. And if you come to put your trust in him as your savior, if you're willing to repent and turn from your sin and say, Jesus, I trust in you for my salvation. I believe that you are the son of God, that you died on that cross for me and that you rose again on the third day. I want to trust you with my life. Please come into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. He will do that today and you will, your life will never be the same again. My prayer is for anyone who listened to this message today that that's, will ha that will happen. And if it does happen, let us know. We'd love to hear about it. God bless you all. I hope you have an awesome day and an awesome week. God bless you.